Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we are continuing on our series through Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, and especially for those of you that may not have been here the last couple of weeks, preliminarily I need to tell you a couple of things, and first is how Paul begins even this section, this chapter, with giving thanks. It's a theme throughout Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians where he begins talking about giving thanks in the first chapter. And then he has this right here where he always gives thanks. And then you get to the end in chapter 5 where he says the famous verse that we know, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances. This is a theme throughout Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. And it's important to understand the context in which he's writing. Because if you remember the background leading up to this in Acts chapter 14... We read about Paul being stoned in Lystra. And then in Acts chapter 16, he travels to Philippi and he's preaching and he's having success. And then all of a sudden there's a riot and he gets beaten and arrested and thrown in jail. And then when he gets out of jail, he goes on to Thessalonica, where initially he's received okay. But then he gets literally run out of town, goes to Berea. The Thessalonians were still ticked off about him. So they followed to Berea, and they had them run him out of town. That's what Paul had in his experiences. He's beginning to think about and reflect on and write to the Thessalonians, and he says, I give thanks for all of you. Is that how you would react? I mean, if you're really, really honest, when Paul was in Philippi, for example, and he was beaten and then thrown in jail, and we read, and about midnight he and Silas were singing hymns And praising the Lord, it's like, that's a stretch for me. It's a challenge. And we sometimes minimize it. On the one hand, when we read something that we minimize, we just say, oh, you know, well, that's Paul. Or that's, you know, that's what happened back then. Or on the other hand, when Jesus talks about being persecuted for our faith, And how because he was hated, we're going to be hated. We minimize that. We think that's not going to happen to us. And if it even gets close to that, we're going to avoid it anyway, aren't we? Because we really don't want to experience that kind of persecution. And we lose sight of the fact that what God wants to do in us It's such a powerful work as we seriously follow his word, as we speak for the sake of the gospel, the sake of the kingdom. And we follow in his footsteps and go out in his name. That even when we face challenges and persecution and struggles, we're going to be thankful, we're going to actually be filled with joy. But unfortunately, a lot of times we don't get there. We face minimal persecution. Or we're just tempted to compromise just a little bit. And we're willing to give up standing for the gospel, living for the gospel. 
so quickly. Because our culture invites compromise. Or not real belief. Or not taking our faith seriously. Or proclaiming the gospel at all. Jesus told a parable that's probably one of the more famous parables. The parable of the sower. The sower and the seeds. And one of the seeds falls in shallow soil. And we're told, and it had no root. See, part of the problem is, we're not growing. If you're not growing, if you don't have that rootedness in the Word of God, because of your prayer life, because of your commitment to worship and being connected to the fellowship, because you're serving the Lord, if you don't have that rootedness, you'll tend to wither when it comes to challenges to your faith and your life. Or the seeds that were sown amongst the thorns. And we're told the thorns choked the plant. And Jesus tells later that the thorn represents the cares of the world. And see, we get so caught up in all that goes on around us in the world that faith takes a back seat. Because there's so much fun and good and entertainment and distractions and pleasure and comfort that the world offers. And actually, if you watch television, that's really what you're being told anyway that life's all about, isn't it? Because after all, we're Americans. We're supposed to have comfort and security and prosperity and success. And all the things that the world promises. And see, we lose sight. We drift. We compromise. And the world can slowly choke out that commitment to the Lord. And really understanding a grateful life. What keeps you from that life? What keeps you from the word? What keeps you from prayer? What keeps you from being in worship? What keeps you from serving? Mostly it's what crowds out your walk with the Lord in the world. Because after all, there's so much to do and so much to see and so much fun to have. And in the process, what happens is the grateful life, the joyful life actually is squeezed out. We look around and we're striving after the things of the world. And we're jealous and we're envious and we're angry and we can even become bitter because we're entitled and we don't get what we're entitled to. Yesterday we did a memorial service for a wonderful, sweet 37-year-old girl who died, Corey Meyer. And Corey had this, this disease called FMD, fibromuscular dysplasia, which in her people group is something that, because of genetics, seems to infect that group more than others. 
And so for the last 15 years or more, she had a death sentence hanging over her head because what this does is it causes the veins and arteries to deteriorate. Now, Corey could have lived an angry life or a bitter life or an entitled life. Instead, she chose to spread joy. She served people. How many of us would do that? Or would we become, I'm all about me now, and I got a raw deal. See, that's a witness. A testimony to God's grace and understanding walking by the Spirit. And we all have a limited time. And the question is, what do you do with that? You know, sometimes we're like children. You know, if you remember when you were a child and you got a gift from your parents, whether it be Christmas or your birthday or something, and you like look at your parents and there's such love in the room and you're so enamored with the gift until you go out into the world and you say, look what they got. I got chipped. And then you get angry. And then you go back home and say, you don't love me. If you love me. And yet God blesses us. And wants to give us his fruit, his spirit, his grace. He wants to cause us to truly recognize what it means to abide with him and how we can become so grateful and live a grateful life, a joyful life, and be a blessing to those around us. That's why Jesus, and I've said this before, why Jesus on the night before he died was talking about joy. That's why Paul, after experiencing everything he experienced, is talking about he's always thankful for them. I want to jump into this passage, and you can either look in your bulletin, or you can look in your pew Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, page 1076, if you look in the pew Bible. We are constantly giving thanks to God for this, that when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you accepted it not as human word, but what it really is, God's word. Now, it's really interesting My question is, having read that, can you tell the difference? Are you able to distinguish between what is really God's word and what is a human word out there? See, because all truth is God's truth. I believe that. But we can't always distinguish. And we get sidetracked and we get distracted. And we begin to question what is truth. And when we have God's word and God's spirit, we can begin to discern what is truth and what is not truth. Last week I was talking a little bit about this whole idea of truth, and I mentioned Hitler. 
and how Hitler and the people who worked as propaganda had this mindset that if you say something loud enough and long enough and forceful enough, it becomes truth for people. And I was sharing this. I have uh, breakfast on Tuesdays with, Tuesdays with some clergy. And I was sharing this with the guys, you know, about um, what I said on Sunday. Sometimes we do that with each other. And uh, one of the guys says, you won't believe what a guy I know said. He said, a guy that I know said to me, you know, if I get caught having an affair, I'm just going to keep telling my wife, I never did that. I am faithful to you, and I'm going to keep saying it over and over again until she believes me. And she will. I mean, I'm not convinced of that myself, but... He said that. See, what's truth? And where do we find truth? See, because you are hammered by the media as to what should be truth for your life, whether you recognize it or not. In the values, in the morals, in what you should strive for. Or you yourself. You have your own truth that you want everybody to affirm for you. So you buy it yourself and you try to convince others what truth is. Because after all, you want to be affirmed for what you believe or how you live. And so that becomes truth for you, whether it's true or not. Or maybe you have someone you love, a friend, a family member who because of their experience and your relationship with them, you buy into something that they say. And we begin to throw this wonderful phrase around, which we love to throw around, well, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth and they can both coexist and we're all fine. They can be directly contrary. It almost doesn't matter, right? How's that work? I mean, I don't understand that myself. And see, God's big on truth. If you look both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, God cares about truth. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and life. And when he talks about sending the Spirit, my Spirit will guide you into all truth. So obviously that's pretty important. And yet we're willing to compromise because of something we want, something we want to be affirmed about, something we believe, or someone in our family or a friend of ours that buys into a certain truth that's directly contrary to what the Word of God says. See, and really, God's trying to get at our hearts and our belief first. Because you understand when your belief is solid, when you're walking with the Lord, your actions are going to follow. Your lifestyle will begin to follow that. When you understand God's truth and you allow the Holy Spirit to impress that upon your life and empower you to live it. You know, it's interesting. If you think about Cain and Abel. Well, let's back up. Let's talk about Adam and Eve first. Adam and Eve, you know, they have this agreement, this covenant with God. And Satan says, you know, what if? What if God said, you know, do you really believe that God said what he said? Or let me tell you what I think God said. And twists it just a little bit. 
So then they listen to the lie. And then you have Cain and Abel come along. And you know, you know, Cain didn't set out initially to kill Abel. You know, just so you know that. And if you don't know the story, grab me after. I'll tell you the story. But the reality is, is that Cain and Abel both went to worship and they sacrificed. And there's some, there was something not quite right about Cain. Maybe it was his heart. That he wasn't really in relationship to God. That he was going through the motions. We don't know exactly what it was. But the Lord was reaching out to Cain. He said, sin is crouching at your door. And its desire is for you. Now Cain has a decision to make. Do he buys into what the Lord says? I need to repent. I need to return to the Lord and worship him in, in spirit and in truth. Or does Cain say, well, forget that. And Abel's really the problem anyway because he's so holy. So he kills Abel. Blames Abel. See, that's what people want to do in the world. If you don't buy the truth, if you're not willing to listen to the Lord, you're the problem. So Paul gives an example. Let's read on. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own compatriots as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They displease God and oppose everyone by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they might be saved. Now, I just want to explain something here so you don't get off track. Paul is not blaming all the Jews, just so you understand that. Paul was a Jew by background. Jesus was a Jew by background. The prophets were Jews by background. Some of the believers in the early church especially on the day of Pentecost, the people that were there for the feast. They were Jews. Paul's making a different point. And it's the same point that Jesus was making at times in his ministry. When he pointed to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, when he pointed to the Jews that were in opposition to him, and if you look historically in the Old Testament, you would find that not all Jews were believers. It doesn't take long to get there. Read Exodus. The Jews respond to God's call to come out of Egypt. They're given the law. Moses is up on the mountain. And he comes down and some have chosen the golden calf. Boy, what a great image that is, the golden calf. And right there, there's a division. And there has always been a division based on true belief. God chose the Jews as his people that would reveal him to the world, that would bring his law, that would bring his word, that would bring his Messiah. 
But there were always believers and unbelievers in the Jewish population. The Jewish unbelievers, at least some of them, would persecute the Christians. But see, I don't want you to get confused here either. We're not just talking Jews, we're talking Gentiles too, because maybe the Jews wanted Jesus dead. Who killed him? Romans. So don't get sidetracked. Jews and Gentiles are equally to blame. If you want to find someone to blame. Because we're all sinners and we all need a savior and some are going to choose to believe and some aren't. Paul and Jesus cared about everyone. If you read Romans 9 through 11, Paul basically says, I'm a Jew and I care about Jews and I want the Jews to be saved. Jesus talks about going to the people of Israel first. And by the time Paul writes Galatians, he said there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female. And by the time he writes to his understudy Timothy, he says, and I desire that all men, the Lord desires that all men would be saved. God cares about belief. And he wants all people to believe. And some Jews understand that, and some don't. And some Gentiles understand that, and some don't. But there will always be a contingency that will then turn around and seek violence because of that. And if you want a modern day example, look at the Islam State. And what they are doing to Christians. You know, it's really interesting to talk to Muslims. You're going to find people who say, hey, we're people of peace. And really, if you read the Quran, it says that people of the book, that is Christians, are supposed to be honored and respected. But see, all it takes is an imam to point out some of the other scriptures for them in the Quran that say if someone doesn't believe and there's a jihad they deserve to die and it depends on who's spinning the truth in that people group what God is interested in is converted hearts and lives And what he says in his word is when you go out in the name of Jesus Christ and you seek to follow him, that there is going to be opposition and sometimes that opposition is going to be subtle and sometimes it's going to be overt and sometimes it's going to threaten your life. And the question is, are you still going to stand for the truth? Are you still going to live the life that Christ calls you to live as he lived and was persecuted, as Paul lived and was persecuted? That's the question. And that's what Paul is saying to the Thessalonians. He's reminding them. This is nothing new to them because Paul writes to them in this context, you yourselves have experienced the same persecution. And yet you're faithful. And I want you to remain faithful. Even in the face of the persecution. And that's why I'm so thankful for you. Because you've not compromised. You've not given in. You're walking the walk.
That's what Jesus modeled and said to his apostles. And that's what Paul is saying to the Thessalonians. Stay faithful. Don't compromise. Don't cower. Because it's when you're faithful you learn what it means to bear the fruit of the Spirit. When you're faithful, you really understand giving thanks and having a grateful heart. Because the Lord sees you through. Whatever the challenge. Including, and as we get toward the latter part of this, I, Paul, wanted to again and again, but Satan blocked our way. Satan blocked our way. See, we sometimes forget that there's a devil in the picture too. You know, we, in the 21st century, you know, some people say it's not really, I mean, you don't really believe that there's a devil, do you? And what people in the media love to throw out, oh, really? Someone in a red suit and a pitchfork? See, because they want to minimize that. Jesus talked about Satan. Jesus addressed and cast out demons. Paul talks about Satan. The Old Testament talks about Satan. Why? Because Satan exists. And Satan is the father of lies and he spreads lies, which is exactly contrary to the truth. And what Satan wants is death, eternal death, and what Jesus came for is eternal life. That's why. That's why Satan does not want the word of God to get out there and will try to intimidate you and will try to silence you. Because after all, you want to fit into the culture or you don't want to experience persecution. The word here, hindered, it's the same word that's used of the Jews in the paragraph above, hindered. And if you read John chapter 8, what Jesus says of the Pharisees and Sadducees that were seeking to oppress him and eventually have him arrested and killed says, your father is Satan. In other words, when you oppose the word of God, you become an instrument of evil. That's what Jesus said. That's what Paul said. And that's why we're to stand against Satan. When we pray the Lord's Prayer and we say deliver us from evil, you know what the actual Greek says there? Deliver us from the evil one. That's what the Greek says. That's what Jesus was saying. Deliver us from the liar. Deliver us from whatever would produce lies and take us away from the Lord. Like had happened to Adam and Eve. It just takes a little twist. Cause us to question. Cause us to doubt. Cause us to drift. And we slowly slip away. And we cease standing for the Lord. How do you distinguish the human word from the word of God? How do you prevent from being hindered in your life from this challenge that Paul laid before the Thessalonians? You know, sometimes when I read Paul and imagine what he went through, 
I wonder, I wonder if I would remain that strong. I wonder. I'd like to think I would. I certainly question whether I'd be singing hymns at midnight after being beaten. But I've always seen God be faithful. Always. The question is, who or what will you believe and why? And how will you live because of that? I want to leave you with three M's. I don't usually do that, but it seemed to fit here. The first thing, the first M that I want to leave you with is the message. The gospel of Jesus Christ is essential. For this life and for eternal life, it is essential. That Jesus Christ came to die on a cross in your place for your sin so that you might have eternal life. And he sends the Holy Spirit to empower us to walk in his footsteps. The message that we need to take out to the world. Because what did Paul say? You are my joy and my crown. It's the same reason that Jesus went to the cross and died on the cross for us. That's his reason. We are his joy. We are his crown. That he came to be our Savior and our Lord. So we need to live the message and bring the message to the world. Secondly, your motive. Our motive needs to be to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. That is what propels us to live the life that Jesus lived. And to bring his love to the world. And willing to self-sacrificially love and serve other people. The motive has got to be love. The two great commandments. And the third is the method. Just walk faithfully. Just walk faithfully. Day by day, moment by moment. Become a person who knows the word of God so you can distinguish. Become a person of prayer so you are equipped and filled with the Holy Spirit. And bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Walk faithfully. That's what he wants. And you will be a grateful person. You will learn what it means to live with joy and thanksgiving. Please bow with me in prayer. Take a step back from your life just for a moment as you reflect in prayer. And look at your life and look at your heart. And look at your motives. For who or what are you living? And who are you listening to? And why? Do you live with an attitude of thanksgiving? Or entitlement? Are you a person of anger or bitterness? 
or are you a person of love and joy? Do you stand for God's word or do you listen to any word that comes along? Lord God, I pray this day that we would be holy and completely committed to you. Every person here sold out for the sake of your gospel. In a world that would try to dissuade us, cause us to compromise, and even persecute us because they don't want to hear the truth. Lord, empower us by your spirit to walk in faithfulness. To be desirous of loving you and loving and serving those around us. Lord, I pray that we would not compromise. We would not cower. But we would be filled with your spirit convinced of the gospel of Jesus Christ and live for you faithfully this day and every day that we might know joy and know thanksgiving and I pray this in his precious name Jesus Christ our Lord Amen